everyone. Welcome back to the Grant Rant. Uh, this is a monthly slash biweekly slash uh, sometimes more frequently podcast um, that we uh, do to kind of talk about uh, things that uh, we've covered within our webinars. We also recently did an NIH series and we do things called Tom Talks, which are just mini talks about uh, different aspects of grant seeking and grants research. Um, I'd like to welcome today uh, two folks who have been here before, um, Senior Grants Consultant Steve Jacks and Senior Grants Consultant Sarah Ott. Thanks for having me, Mallory. Um, great. Well, I have you both here today. We had um, a session at the end of July where we talked about developing great aims and, and objectives, and we had quite a few follow-up questions um, from that session. And so I uh, wanted to have you both on here to kind of talk a little bit about some of these questions that we had uh, when it comes to developing aims uh, for grant proposals. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to jump right in. Um, one of the topics that we covered as part of that session was dependence of aims. This is a huge problem. I know we see it all the time. It's tough for me to talk about it because I feel like I just know it when I see it, but <laughs> that's not very helpful for folks. Um, so, you know, one of the questions that we got was uh, reviewers always attack on the dependence of aims, but interdependence can be inevitable when developing a new technology in a, in a proposed pro project. So how can we overcome this barrier? Um, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, my big suggestion is if at all possible, uh, you know, avoid uh, basically finding two separate grants to do these separate pieces. So, you know, if it's, uh, you know, for example, it's if it's you're developing a new tool that you then want to test in a second phase, then, you know, find a way to, you know, fund that first phase, um, you know, show that you can do it effectively and then move on to the next testing phase. And this is a, a common situation that, that investigators find themselves in. Um, if for some reason that is impossible, um, the next best thing is to, there are some um, funding mechanisms that do sort of allow you to do the, the those multiple steps. And then you can sometimes seek out those funding, specific funding opportunities um, that, that do come up from the time to time, especially around the, the development of, of new technologies or new devices, for example. Um, and then finally, if for whatever reason you're really committed to, to doing the project as sort of one large project rather than two separate, is just really laying out very clearly uh, what are your sort of your plan B's and plan C's so that you, you can say, you know, if this is a problem, here's what we'll do. If this is a problem, here's what we'll do. Um, so you've really laid out a clear plan for if things go wrong, what you do, how will you modify the design um, accordingly? Yeah, no, that's great. And I think I should even probably back up uh, just a hot second here. Um, and Sarah, maybe you can kind of tell us what does it mean when aims are dependent or when they're interdependent? Um, I'm not sure that we, I mean, I think we, again, I know it when I see it, but how do folks uh, take a look at their aims and know whether that's happening? Right. So um, what you want to avoid is sort of total um, interdependence where you have your aim to, for instance, depends on the outcome of your aim one. And so it sounds like the question that was asked during the session, um, they're probably from a field um, where it can be difficult to have total uh, dependence of your aims. So then in that case, what we're looking for is the least um, dependent aims. And as Steve was saying, um, if you do have some um, 
if you do have some interdependent aims, then you want to have those alternative strategies because that's the core concern um, from reviewers when you have this issue is that if um, if you don't complete your aim one or aim one is unsuccessful, then um, you would not be able to move on in your study. So they would, the funding agency would be awarding you funds to basically only complete one aim. So that's the major concern with the interdependence and what we want to avoid. We want to show the reviewers and the agency that you're going to be able to complete the whole project. And even if the project does not go um, as planned, that there are important outcomes and outputs. Um, so I was going to say, add to that too, that, you know, sometimes it's very obvious, like the example that I used where, you know, maybe you're developing some new technology that you're going to test in a, in a second phase. But I think the, where it gets missed more often is, uh, cases where you, you were maybe designing a, a series of experiments that will be kind of one after another, but then that the logic of, for example, experiment two that you might be doing in, in, in aim two is sort of assuming that aim one or the first experiment result is going to come out the way that you think, and therefore you're going to design a follow-up study to experiment one and experiment two on the assumption that you know what the results are going to look like or the results are going to be what you hypothesize them to be. Um, and that's a much more, I think, more subtle form uh, of dependence, but uh, it's another one that, that investigators should really try to, uh, to look for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, um, that's really helpful. And I think, you know, I think what folks sometimes get hung up on is it's not about they don't, they shouldn't be completely separate. They are related. Um, but you want to be able to continue with your, with your project and your grant proposal if aim one fails. Um, so it's not necessarily that you have to have completely separate. They should be connected in some way, but you want to be able to, you know, prove or, you know, as Sarah said, you have to have some kind of mitigation strategies of if, you know, if aim one fails, these are the steps that we're going to take to continue the research. Um, so I think that that's a good, um, that's a good point to kind of underscore as well. Um, so some some of the other questions that we got related to, you know, how do I know that I have enough aims or how do I know that I have too many aims? So how do you right-size the project to ensure that there are not too many aims or that there are not too few aims? Yeah, I can um, start with this one. I, the, the best advice I have is to, um, you know, look at, your budget allotment and the um, what you you know the time that you have to complete the project based on the time available in the award and um, you know try to right size your project based on those confines but then also um, looking at the past funded projects so if you're applying for a specific funding opportunity announcement, and you're applying to an agency, a foundation um, that has projects listed, uh, you know, maybe they have a project summary or um, they have a little bit of detail about the project. Look at what was previously funded and then compare your proposed scope to that. Um, and and a, really the most important point, especially if you're just starting out, in grant funding is to know that promising to do more with less is not advantageous. So 
Um, sometimes it can, you know, you can talk yourself into thinking that way, but really when the reviewers see you over-promising, they are um, more likely to think that you're just not going to be able to complete the project in the, in the timeline that you set. Um, so that's really important. And then to communicate the scope of the project to the reviewers um, in your proposals. So if there's not a required timeline, um, including some sort of timeline with milestones, so they have a better idea of how what your strategy is to complete the project within the, the time limits of the award. And I'll, I'll kind of echo Sarah's comments. And I think, you know, what, what I don't think she said explicitly, but I think it meant was that, you know, because aims are not a sort of a always of the same scale, uh, you know, it's not always sort of the number of aims that you list that is, is potentially problematic. It's, it's the over, it's more complicated scope of the work. And uh, as Sarah suggested, you know, having really clear milestones, a clear timeline of how you're going to do accomplish different elements in the, the proposal uh, is, is kind of the most important thing. Um, you know, I think for, for many funders, you want to have, you know, two to four aims or objectives. If you have much more than that, I would say think about either scaling back the project or seeing if you can sort of group some of those into more, you know, kind of conceptually related issues uh, or conception related aims and, and pull those together. Because sometimes even though, you know, people should know that, you know, not all aims are created equally. If you've show that you've got five aims in an NIH proposal, people will just assume mm -hmm. that it's going to be too much work, uh, you know, a, a, from their reading the first specific aims page. So uh, I think avoiding having too, too many is, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this may be getting a little bit in the weeds, but um, since you brought up, you know, having too many aims, how do you know when it should be a separate aim versus a sub aim? Um, because sometimes we'll see, you know, a proposal that has, you know, um, only two aims, but, you know, some sub aims underneath those uh, two aims. So how, so how should a faculty member look at the aims that they have and decide whether or not it's appropriate for it to be a separate aim or a sub aim? Yeah. So some of that is kind of conceptual. And I think going back to the first question we talked about, I, I think reviewers are more accepting of sub aims that are independent uh, or that, that are interdependent with one another. Um, so sometimes that might be a, a deciding factor is if you can kind of group things that depend on each other uh, in, into a single aim and then with, with sort of a sub-aim structure underneath that, as long as you then have, you know, an additional aim that you're going to be doing that, I think that's one way to do it. Um, I think, that, you know, you want the different aims to have a relatively large intellectual scope to them so that, uh, you know, if there's really kind of subtle differences between, uh, you know, two things that you're thinking of as aims, they might be better sort of lumped together uh, as, as separate sub aims and having something a little more conceptually distinct be the, um, you know, be, be a separate aim. So, but it, it is challenging, but I think the sort of that level of, of conceptual independence uh, is, is kind of a, a key criteria. Okay, that's helpful. Um, so here's another kind of question about, you know, terminology, I think. Um, so 
One of the questions that we got during the session was, can you avoid the interdependence problem by asking research questions rather than testing hypotheses? Um, this is one where the individual said that they were coming from a social science background, so the terminology is more about research questions versus hypotheses. Um, is it the same kind of issue where you want to make sure that the questions that you're asking are not dependent, or is it different because now we're not actually testing a you know hypothesis, but we're re- but we're rather kind of asking a question? So we, we still would have the, potentially would have the issue of the dependence of outcomes. And one of, I, this is a really multi-layered question, um, but so sort of starting from the research question perspective, um, you know, generally your research questions are, are typically going to be more broad. Um, so if you're in a field where you're not, it's not common to have hypothesis-based research, um, then you want to focus on your objectives um, to, you know, to respond to the research questions and your anticipated outcomes and outputs. Um, so if we're not testing a hypothesis, it, it's really important to not only present, you know, your research questions, but then also um, your objectives or your aims, depending on the funding agency in the field you're in, and then um, your outputs and outcomes. So um, it's not necessarily that the research question takes the place of the hypothesis, because, you know, you can have a research question and and a hypothesis attached to that. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Steve? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in my mind, sort of changing the, the focus to research questions kind of kicks the can down the line because ultimately the problem is that you are likely doing temporally sequenced uh, set of activities, uh, you know, to use very the broadest, uh, most non-specific language possible. And that at some point when you, you're going to do something later that depended on something in the past. And that's the, the ultimate challenge. It may be less obvious, uh, than, you know, if you, you can kind of hide it a little bit through research questions, but ultimately reviewers are going to, you know, as they read the proposal, your full project plan, they see that there is this de- dependence, they're going to pick it up. So I think, Whichever way you frame it, and again, I think Sarah made some good points about you know the, that the how research questions are not uh, you know always a, a, a sort of one to one substitute for hypotheses. Uh, you know, I think there's still going to be that that temporal dependence issue that uh, you're not going to be able to get away w- from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's a key thing. So whether you're in the social sciences or not, um, you know, it's still a key element of your uh, grant proposal. You want to make sure that the funder knows that you can continue the work. Um, So moving on a little bit here, um, again, we're kind of talking more about terminology and kind of what the nuance is with this kind of terminology. But um, one of the questions we got was uh, that they've that this person has seen some people present a series of research uh, tasks, rather than objectives or aims. Um, So it's more framed as first, we will do this and this. um, And then we will take both of those and do this. is, is there a time when this is, you know, a, more appropriate than others? Or um, is it something that is kind of discipline specific or agency specific? Um, any kind of thoughts on that would be uh, valuable. 
Yeah, so this will be a, a little bit funder-specific. You know, in my mind, most grants that I see and for most funders, uh, that, that task level is wonderful because it really shows, lays out the, the specific activities that uh, you're going to need to undertake as part of that grant and, and communicating those specific activities is really critical. But I always see, you know, tasks are done in service of some kind of overall goal. Uh, and that might be an objective you know, it, it might, the terminology might be objective. You know, for example, if you're writing to NSF, it might be an aim. If you're writing to NIH, it might be, you know, some other terminology. But I, I really think that those, you need some kind of statement, whether it be an objective, whether it be aim, something about sort of bigger picture, what are you trying to accomplish in this chunk of work? And then the, the tasks are really, given that particular goal, Here's what here are the activities that I'm going to undertake to to accomplish that. So um, I don't think tasks are are a good replacement for aims or objectives because they they sort of do different things. Uh, you know, one is is just a, the aims or objectives are some kind of clear statement about the the overall goal, and then you know it's it's the sort of uh, the the why or or you know what you're trying to accomplish, and then the uh, you know the the tasks are the how how are you going to go about you know, accomplishing that goal. So they're kind of different questions in my mind. Yeah, Steve makes a good point of the, the language differences. And I think we've brought that up a few times here as far as, you know, aims, objectives and um, tasks and activities. And one of the best ways to look at that is to, you know, um, find a proposal. So find someone who's willing to share a proposal if you've not applied to that funding agency before. And um, get a sense of what those what what a typical application looks like and what language is most accepted. Okay, great. Um, I think the final question is uh, also one of the more difficult ones because I think there's a lot going on in the world right now um, across the U.S. and different states when it comes to this topic. Um, but uh, the topic is DEI. So the question was um, recommendations or thoughts for effective practices for when funders would like to weave DEI considerations into aims and objectives. Um, kind of a kind of a hot button topic uh, because we're seeing um, a lot of um, different states implement things that uh, kind of um, limit what can be said about DEI. But uh, generally speaking, um, do we have any kind of thoughts about weaving DEI into aims and objectives, or is it best to kind of weave that into other parts of a grant proposal? So I'll, I'll take this one, and, and Mallory, you're, you're very right that this is a complicated one. And um, a lot of it will depend on the particular funding opportunity that you're applying for, the the different opportunities will place more or less emphasis on DEI. So some uh, funding opportunities are, are almost exclusively DEI focused and some will mention it as a benefit. Um, but, you know, almost all funders are going to look in some way, shape or form for, for DEI uh, related uh, content or, you know, if anything, it, it will be certainly beneficial to include it because uh, many reviewers are looking for it. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the, the first thing is, you know, thinking about the funding opportunity and, and if DEI is really central, then the aim should really have, uh, you know, central focus on the DEI activities and, and specific opportunities for 
opportunities, for example, maybe like a like an NSF career award will be a kind of a, a prototypical example where, uh, you know, the the science is kind of the core part of it, but certainly benefits from uh you know, including DEI activities uh, as part of the proposed work, and uh, and therefore I think it, it's it's best to kind of pepper them in when wherever possible. So that might be in you know the potential communities that could benefit, uh, you know the the potential students that you might have, um, you know who would be working on the project to improve the, for example, the overall diversity of the field, um, those sorts of things. So I think you know it really depends a lot on the funding opportunity, but I think even for those opportunities where it's not central, it's it's good to pepper in comments, um, you know, throughout, you know, your you know your summary page, whether it be a um, a project summary for NSF, whether it be a um, specific games page for NIH, or any other cor- corresponding uh, kind of high level summary that reviewers would likely look at first. Uh, I think it's good to to pepper in those that content. Yeah, definitely, Sarah. Do you have anything to add? I mean, I think, you know, if if you're in a state that is passing legislation related to this, just knowing who to contact at your university, your grants office, your office of research, folks who are going to know, you know, what your p- policies are right now as far as applying and um, how they want to address, you know, if you are applying to, like Steve said, one of those mechanisms that puts more emphasis on DEI, if they can help you to give you some strategies on how they're addressing that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we get this, we get questions about DEI all the time. Um, and it's definitely tricky. It's, it's a, it's a changing landscape right now. Um, and, you know, we, it's, it's just tough. It's tough to know uh, <laughs> what that limit is and what that balance is. And so, um, as Sarah said, you know, leaning into the supports you have at your institution to kind of help thread that needle and guide you, um, I think is, is uh, critical. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of relatedly, once you've had the, like, those conversations internally with sort of what your institution is going to be comfortable with or not, um, you know, it may be a good idea to then reach out to a program officer uh, and, you know, talk with them about, you know, this is what I would be able to propose. You know, do you think that this is going to be competitive or not? Uh, And, you know, they might be able to give some advice on, you know, whether maybe a different funding opportunity is going to be better for you, given the the constraints that you might have uh, at your particular institution. So it's, you know, to avoid the, you know, putting in a lot of work for a proposal that um, would be, you know, really unlikely to get funded, um, you know, because of, of constraints that might be imposed uh, by, by straight state rules. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Um well, I want to thank you both so much for joining me uh, today and kind of diving into some of these questions a little bit deeper. Um, I think we get so many questions about specific aims um, and interdependence and, you know, uh, just getting into the nitty gritty of best practice when it comes to developing aims. Um, and I think it's really helpful to kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of these questions, and, you know, specifically when we're talking about very, very specific things such as dependence and uh, research questions versus hypothesis and tasks and, you know, things like that. So thank you both so much for uh, joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, Moving on. Um, so if you have not yet signed up, we do have um, another webinar coming up. It's going to be August 31st at 12 noon Eastern. It is Funding Landscape uh, for Health Workforce Development. So we'll be covering um, kind of what's on the horizon uh, within that area. 
Um, if you haven't signed up yet, you can go to HanoverResearch.com slash webinars and you can uh, sign up there. Even if you're not able to join, go ahead and register because you will get a copy of the recording and the slides sent to you after the fact. Uh, we'll have some other uh, sessions coming up here uh, on the Grant Rant. We're going to be diving into some very specific things uh, related to grant seeking and kind of best practices when it comes to grant seeking. Um, so keep an eye out um, for that as we move forward. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast, if you'd like to join us on the podcast, or if you have any ideas about topics that you'd like to see covered, please email me. You can reach me at podcast at HanoverResearch.com. Um, any other comments or questions, I'd love to hear them as well. So please feel free uh, to reach out to me at any time. Um, and we hope to have you back um, in the coming weeks. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.